I want to, I as Connor was sharing there, I want to continue on with the theme of what we've been talking about. So, and I don't want to go into it and recap because that takes up a whole lot of time. So I do encourage you, if you go back and have a look over the last couple of weeks, everything is, is on layer upon layer. It's unfolding. And I'm sh just sharing things that kind of will establish and strengthen us, uh, ready to launch off um, into whatever God's got for us. That's the beauty of it. It's not uh, us preparing for launch day. It's us just simply yielding to Holy Spirit um, and trusting Him whenever He wants to, to launch us um, because it's all, everything is about Him. So, so just, yeah, I think you can relax a little bit tonight. Um, you might have slept in and, um, and had a good restful day and the brain is not so um, awake. Um, you can rest. This is not going to be a brain teaser. Most of what I'm going to share probably you know, but it will be a good reinforcer of what we've been sharing about over the last couple of day, uh, weeks, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. I wonder if you can uh, turn with me to Ezekiel. Yes, it is in the Bible. Ezekiel, it's just some light reading. Yeah. It was just one of those small prophets in the Bible that didn't have much to say. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read a lot, but I want us to just start in Ezekiel chapter 36. Chapter 36, and I'm just going to read two verses. And it'll be really good if I had my glasses. Otherwise, I'll just read anything. <laughs> just pick a number. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Lord. Ezekiel chapter 36, are you there? Okay, let's just go to verse uh, 26. 26, and we'll read verse 26 and 27. Um, yeah, let's just read there. Um, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a beautiful declaration in Ezekiel about the new covenant, about what God was going to do um, in um, what Jesus did on the cross for us. Um, and what God was about to uh, declare and speak as a prophetic word over the people of God. Amen. So this is actually what happens uh, to us when we get born again. And it's talking about the finished work of the cross. So whenever we, we as, as believers want to study up and understand the finished work of the cross and what that all means, everything that I've been preaching up to this point is all the finished work of the cross and our, our understanding. But this is an absolutely key foundation for our thinking and for our processing of anything to do with the gospel. So the first thing he says here is, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. There's, a, there's, a, there's the miraculous miracle of God that takes place in the new covenant where God supernaturally gives us a new heart and puts a new spirit within us. That's our spirit being regenerated, renewed, born again, a new spirit. So a new heart and a new spirit within us. 
And then secondly, which is just as powerful and probably the one that's neglected the most, is not only does he give you us a new heart and a new spirit, but he says, I will put my spirit within you. So there's a twofold thing that happens at salvation. There is a new heart and a new spirit that God creates, and then he places his spirit inside of us. We're happy with that. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was revealed as the Almighty, the, the powerful, the Holy One. And Holy Spirit moved in seasons and times, in moments and in events upon people to work miraculously upon them um, with His might and His power and in His, uh, who He was, right? It's the Old uh, Testament. Um, he came upon men. He used them in special ways, and he operated from outside of them, okay? In the New Covenant or New Testament, the Spirit of God is revealed as Father. He was not revealed before this as Father, but now he is revealed as Father. Old Covenant, Almighty God, Holy One, powerful, uh, majestic, awesome. And in the New Covenant now, for the first time, he's revealed as Father, and he works from within outwards, right? And upwards. So Ezekiel for me explains very clearly what God actually intended fully at the cross, the finished work of the cross and what that means. So firstly, God promises through his spirit to put in man a new spirit, meaning that man's spirit will be renewed, regenerated, um, made alive by the work of the Spirit. And then the second part, God promises to put His Spirit, Holy Spirit, within us. This is so that God can dwell in us. Now, if you, if you want a journey through the Bible, it's very easy to, to quickly go through a journey and understand that obviously God's heart was to dwell with man. God's heart was to dwell with us and in us. So he had to make a body um, called Adam and he had to breathe. Once he had a place for his habitation, he then could breathe into and create life in that body, right? So that he could, there could be a habitation. If you look at Israel, you can look at the tabernacle, you look at the temple, very detailed uh, as to what they needed to do so that there could be a habitation and a place for God so that he could come and he could dwell. In the new covenant, it, he had to create the habitation so that he could come and dwell. So supernaturally and powerfully, what's preached as the gospel often is the first part, which is this beautiful habitation and the supernatural miracle that God did in our lives. The church, I ever forgot to go further than that, so that's why it keeps sitting and moving round and round in the same place. Because it's much easier to preach the first part than it is to preach the second part. Because often the church gets stuck in the first part because it gets stuck in its failings, stuck in its trying to achieve, trying to earn, trying to deserve, trying to perform. So it's easier to just keep preaching that part, which doesn't create a very healthy and mature church. But a church that's healthy and mature is a church that's filled with the Spirit of God and that's led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Okay, so God wants a dwelling place. Um, if you want um, some scriptures to make it legal. 
Um, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirits. Humans can reproduce only human life. Don't believe everything you read in magazines. Humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And God designed and created us to be a people filled with spiritual life, which is way different to human life. We're not on this earth just to take up space and to breathe oxygen. If you are, come and speak to me. You need to get born again. Because if you get born again, you now have spiritual life within you, which is way, way different. And spiritual life now has overcome sin and death. We, we concentrate on the sin part, but what about the death part? It's, I said I wouldn't go heavy. Let's not go down that road too far. Um, another beautiful scripture is David in Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. This is a man that was way before his time. This is a man that was gazing into the presence of the Lord way before his time and seeing things, seeing into the future, seeing what God was wanting to create. And he begins to declare and just begin to speak that out in an Old Testament uh, context. Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he would go on to say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's an understanding here of a pure and a clean heart. There's something of a difference between the right spirit and then don't take your Holy Spirit, the right spirit and Holy Spirit from me. Hopefully I'm not moving too fast. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So why is this important? It helps us understand being born again and the Holy Spirit within us and what He wants to achieve and do in and through our lives. Number one, there is the work of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, leading to repentance and faith in Jesus and giving us a new nature. We are now a child of God, a temple ready for God to dwell in. That's what happens at, when we get born again, right? And then number two, Holy Spirit fills the temple at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, God created man's heart for his indwelling. That's exactly why we were, were created. In John 1, 29 to 33, there's two things John the Baptist preached. Two things John the Baptist preached. Number one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And number two, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Two things. They were meant to go together. Just as we were called to be uh, convicted of sin, to be led to repentance and faith in God, and uh, to be renewed, rejuvenated, and a new nature, and, and, and a, a new creation, and a new spirit placed inside of us, and for Holy Spirit to come and dwell. Those two things that were meant to always happen together. So also John the Baptist, those two things that he preached were meant to operate together, right? If you don't say right, it's going to take a long time tonight, okay. So that means you didn't know. Okay, let's go back to the garden. No, we won't go back to the garden. Okay. So we preach the cross, the blood of Jesus, being redeemed from our sins, righteousness, peace, peace, peace with God, which is, which, is, which is powerful and beautiful, and I'm not negating that. 
what I'm trying to share tonight is that that is what has been emphasized over the years in the life of the church. And the reason why it's been emphasized is because it's very easy to see. It was very outward. It was on a hill. It was on Golgotha. There were crosses on the hill there. There was blood. There was a whole lot of action happening. It's a very outward display, and it's easy to, to, to see and to understand, and the people of God can embrace it very easily, right? So the church has embraced this understanding very easy. It's where our Savior died, so it's very easy to understand. Um, and the shedding of blood was for the ungodly and the rebellious. How many know that every single one of us was rebellious and ungodly before we encountered Jesus and we received Him into our lives? So this uh, is, is understanding of the cross is for the ungodly and for the rebellious. Because once you come into a place in Christ, then we are supposed to be filled with the Spirit and a whole new thing begins to happen. We're not supposed to be a bunch of people that are keep going round and round the mountain of ungodliness or rebellion. Right? So half the time in the church we have 450,000 different ministries to help the ungodly and the rebellious. I knew they would go down like a lead balloon. It's all good. <laughs> but that's fine. Amen. We're actually supposed to be a people filled with the Spirit. We're supposed to be a people that have been redeemed and set free. And now we're moving and flowing in the Spirit of God, which is so different and displays such a different nature and character and fragrance and aroma uh, than a, a one that just keeps trying to get free all the time and just keeps going round and round, right? See, the pouring out of the Spirit of God happened in heaven and it happened in new hearts. It didn't happen in some huge, big... Uh, outward display. It happened in the heaven and in the heart. And so it wasn't really seen outwardly. It should only really be manifested in, in a loving and obedient disciple. See, the first one was for the ungodly and the rebellious, but the second one is for a loving, obedient disciple. To be filled with the Spirit is for the disciples of God that were loving and obedient. I'll explain that. See, it's this understanding that Jesus is drawing us back to. I'll say a statement. Jesus' outward coming in the flesh was the preparation for His inward coming in the Spirit. So the church concentrates on His outward The whole of the gospel, I don't know how long you've been saved, the whole of the gospel has been about the outward coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is a preparation for the inward coming of the Spirit of God. So we as the people of God have got to grab hold of the truth of His outward coming and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we have to move now into the inward coming of the Spirit of God within us so that it can take us to where He wants us to now in these last days with signs and wonders following the preaching of His Word. The miraculous flows from a people that are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So The Bible talks about, let me just say it like this. The Bible talks about um, that we are to live by the Spirit. How many know that we were dead in our trespasses and sin and God came and made us alive, right? So when the Bible talks about we live by the Spirit, what it's saying is that the Spirit has made us alive and now that's what makes us live. 
We now live by the Spirit. But how many know that it never stops there? That's point one half. The other half is it tells us now to walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. So the people of God have been made alive and they're now living by the Spirit. That's great. And actually, at the end of the day, if you preach the gospel and you preach the cross correctly, when you stand before Him one day, that, that is what actually will cause Him to open the gates of heaven. However, if, if it was just about that, then God would cause us to be born again and take us zoops, to heaven. Uh, twinkling of an eye, boom, we're gone. We'll just be all like the thief on the cross. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Bye-bye. Cheers. See you later. The reality is, though, that God wants us to walk on this earth with a life that was lived and empowered purely by His Spirit. So now that's the second part that we want to talk about tonight very quickly is walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. If you go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Now if I had the time I would really unpack the whole of Galatians because really it's a, it needs to flow one to the other instead of just jumping around. Um, so Galatians chapter 5, I'm just going to read for the sake of time. Let's just read, say, from verse 16, and we'll end somewhere. Paul speaking to the Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. There's a whole bunch of wonderful and horrible things there. And, um, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, again, when he talks about will not inherit the kingdom of God, how many know that he's not talking about salvation? Just so we finally get this point through inside of us. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about you won't be saved. You are saved by grace alone. You are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ, not because of anything that you do. No man will boast in his presence about anything except the finished work of Jesus Christ, right? But if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to inherit and walk in and live in, if you want to live in who you are, who God purchased for you and to live in this life, with your full inheritance, then there, are, there is a, a prerequisite to that, as it were, um, which he tells us here that if you, the works of the flesh, so it's the, this is, these works of the flesh are not going to help you inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, it tells us that you won't, it will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, which we all know, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember that. But I love this. I'm just going to drop this out because I'm a teacher. But, but The fruit of the Spirit, it's not a random nine quick uh, attributes of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Bible is very, very specific. It's, lay, it's, it's laid down purposefully. Every single word is put in there purposefully by God. And it's no accident that the very first fruit that he names is love. Right? 
And then I love that after that, I love, I love that it's love. And then after that is joy and peace. Because it's the foundation from which we should be operating from is love and joy and peace. And hopefully I can get to it a bit quicker than I am doing at the moment. Okay. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that. If you live by the Spirit, you must keep in step with the Spirit. So that's another way of saying walk or be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So what he's saying is that if you have been born again, if every single one of us here tonight have been born again, renewed, new Spirit within us, then if we live by the Spirit, then we should be led and walk by and keep in step with the Spirit. This is not a, a request. This is actually the natural tendency of every single believer should be to walk according to the Spirit. Let me, while you in Galatians, I'll just jump over to Romans chapter 8. Might just help somebody here before I get into walking by the Spirit. Um, Romans chapter 8, the whole, the whole chapter is very good. I just won't... I won't read all of it, but there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life, the spirit of life, just that by itself, the law of the spirit of life, the spirit of life, Holy Spirit is the spirit of life, the spirit of life within us, the law of the spirit of life, which is the law of liberty, which is the law of Christ, which is love, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Not from the law of the spirit of sin and death, but from the law of sin and death. There is a law of sin and death, and there is a law of the spirit of life. See, don't, don't go read that too quickly. If you understand that, it's, a, it's revelationary and very, very powerful. Because there's a law of sin and there's a law of death. You have been set free from the law of sin and you have been set free from the law of death. Without me going into heavy tonight, let me just say this, that uh, for a, a lot of the time what people have done and, 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 and maybe God will give us revelation uh, of this one day, but right now I don't have that revelation, is He's redeemed us from the law of sin and He's also redeemed us from the law of death. That doesn't mean that we are immortal and will live uh, and never die because I was made from this earth and, um, and this earth has been cursed, right? So there's still a redemption that's going to happen. In Romans 8, you'll see it's a redemption of the body. That's the last thing that's going to happen. But there's something about a conquering of death that the spirit of life has done here. And if we understand death, death doesn't just mean death in terms of that we get old and go to the grave. Death can mean a whole bunch of other things in our lives. So life has come in and wherever this world and wherever circumstances have spoken death over, then the Spirit of God is here to renew and to redeem because it's conquered that death. I want to say this because for a lot of people, it's some whole long journey about getting free from a bunch of stuff that's happened in their lives when the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from that death. You are now full of life. You don't have to be redeemed from that death anymore. He conquered all of that death in your life, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually, in whatever way that He has conquered all of that. And so now the spirit of life inside of us 
is meant to operate in such a way that we live free from sin and we live free from death. Okay, so in a very quick way, I, just, I wanted to talk about the what, the why, and the how. What is this walking by the Spirit? Why is it crucial to walk by the Spirit? And how very practical can we walk by the Spirit? And I have no idea on the time. Are we good? Okay. So first, what is walking by the Spirit? Okay, there are two understandings in this uh, chapter uh, that show us a bit of light on this. The first is found in verses 18. So if you jump back to Galatians, if you're not there. He says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is very interesting. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So there's something here that God wants us to get a revelation of that we need to walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not be under the law. So it's appearing to me He's already setting us up here that there is a, there is a walking under the law and there is a walking by the Spirit. You can't walk by the Spirit and be under the law. That's a simple extrapolation of the word, right? So there's a walking under the law and there's a walking by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If Paul had said, if you follow the Spirit and you're not under the law, that would kind of make a little more sense in terms of the way Christianity has been preached in the way we understand it. That, that's again something that we have to do. Something There's some effort on our part again. So if you follow, then this will happen. No, he said if you're led by the Spirit, what does that do? Puts the emphasis on the Spirit. See, if you're led by the Spirit. So now the Spirit's responsibility, if you would like to, let me put it that way. I was trying to find an example this afternoon, but, and I'm not sure if this is a great one, but if you're Formula One, and I haven't watched a Formula One race for a very long time, so forgive me, but I'm not sure in Formula One if they have those cars that start in the front, keep, the, keep the, all, the, all the safety car, you know, or if you, if you've, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of like all those American races at Daytona 500 and what have you, and then you have a pace car that goes out in front so no one can go ahead, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is not a pace car. The Holy Spirit, the example of the Holy Spirit is more like a big engine in front of a train. It's like a locomotive with a whole bunch of carriages behind. It's our responsibility to get hitched up to the carriage, and then the carriage will lead and will guide us um, and it's the, it's, the, it's the locomotive that does all the work. How many know that? The carriages don't operate by themselves. If the locomotive is unhitched, the carriage just goes... Sadly for a lot of Christians, the carriage keeps going. <laughs> if the... <laughs> I had a flashback then, so sorry. <laughs> and generally they crash, right? 
It's the flashback. <laughs> no, anyway. It's a few minutes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if the Christian life looks too hard, we must remember that we are not called to live it by ourselves. Right? Then the just second uh, part in this, which is talking about the walking in the Spirit, is found in verse 22. Let me just read that quickly. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when we are operating with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, against that there is no law. There's nothing, when you begin to operate in the fruit of the Spirit, there's nothing that can control, condemn, um, cause you to, to get into any striving or any works because now you're operating by the Spirit of God, right? How many know it's a Holy Spirit's fruit, so He bears the fruit? Do I have to do a nature lesson maybe? You don't bear somebody else's fruit, right? Oh, anyway, I can see it's Sunday night. Okay. <laughs> we can also, um, you know, we can kind of surmise here that Paul could have got this um, picture from Jesus. You remember in John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, right? So it's just a, ca a case of abiding in the vine. So walking by the Spirit simply means abide in the vine. Keep yourself securely united to Jesus. Um, don't cut yourself off from the flow uh, of the Spirit, but be led by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Um, so there's a... There's an there's a understanding here that the Holy Spirit is doing all the work, but that I must abide so that I must hitch myself up to the locomotive, right? Hope we're getting that understanding. That's not difficult. So ask yourself the question, why is it crucial to walk by the Spirit? Okay, it's found in verse 16 and verse 18. Let me have a look at that quickly. Um, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The incentive for walking by the Spirit is when you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Easy, right? One of the things here for me that I have it, 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 I've struggled with, but God has revealed over, over many years, is an understanding about this word flesh. If you go and study the work of Paul and you get a revelation of, of the word flesh, very little and, and very seldom does Paul use the flesh as your physical flesh. But he uses it in a, a specific context, which, uh, in my opinion, actually just relates to a man's ego. So the flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness, and it uses the resources in its own power to try to fill it. I'll say that again. So the flesh is the ego which feels the emptiness. Every single one of us felt the emptiness and went searching to fill that emptiness. And in the world, they fill it with many, many different things, money, status, fame, whatever it is, um, to fill that emptiness. And as the people of God, this, this really should not be our, our understanding because we've been filled with the Spirit. But the Spirit and the flesh are at war against one another, and this is actually why. Because the flesh is our ego. 
that is trying to fulfill in its own power and its own resources the emptiness in, its, in, in our lives, right? Notice uh, Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then compare Galatians, uh, that with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, that's the flesh, the physical body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we understand this right now, we can see that, that there's a, a flesh... Uh, spoken about in Galatians 5.24, and there's an I spoken about in Galatians 2.20, right? Are, are you following me? That's why I define the flesh in its negative uh, connotation as an expression of ego or of I. In 2.20, it says the old fleshly ego is crucified and a new I. It's no longer I that live, but now Christ lives in me. And the life I now live. So there was an I, was crucified, and now there's a new I. <laughs> the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the flesh is the ego which feels an emptiness, but loathes the idea of satisfying it by faith. That is by depending on the mercy of God in Christ. Instead, the flesh prefers to use the legalistic or licentious resources in its own power to fulfill its emptiness. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to, to God. It does not submit to God's laws. The basic mark of the flesh is that it is unsubmissive. It does not want to submit to God's absolute authority or rely on God's absolute mercy. Flesh says, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Right? So I'm going to just touch on that very quickly because there's a lot in there. See, the flesh, it wants to do whatever it can and use its resources to achieve and to fulfill this emptiness that it's feeling. So the flesh can operate whether you are born again or not. Because even if you're born again, it will try to use all its resources of legalism and of religion to achieve the same goal. So it doesn't just disappear because you're a Christian, right? The flesh in itself wants to feed itself. It does not want to submit to what? To faith. So this is now, these are little things starting to click. The mind should be clicking now a little bit going, oh, that's interesting. So we have the flesh and we have the spirit. The flesh is an ego that wants to do and perform everything itself. And it does not want to listen to or rely on God and his promises and who he is and put faith in him. And the spirit of God wants to put faith in God. I'm working hard, Jim. It's not surprising then if we, as we read in, in verse 17, there is a war between our flesh and God's spirit. And it's a very lively war. And so I do want to encourage you because at this time of the year, there is a, a, just a little bit of an upping in the war between the spirit and the flesh. 
Um, we went to a wedding um, this past week, and uh, it was an interesting wedding. Um, I don't know how many of you, I'm quite sheltered, so um, I don't know how many of you are exposed to to the full-blown world at any one stage, but um, it was a lovely wedding and, and, and it's family, and so I, I don't want to say too much, just except to say that um, there's definitely a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And um, yeah, the, the things that are happening out there is, um, yeah, the, the believers need to arise and stop coward being cowards and backing off and, and, uh, and just letting the flesh uh, take control, but stand up and begin to rule by the spirit. Amen. And that's about all I'll probably say on that. But For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. The main thing that we learn from this is that there is a clash. You might kind of be challenged by the idea that there's a clash in there, but I want to just... This is what I want to emphasize. I love to emphasize the positive, not the negative. The positive is simply this. If there is a clash going on inside of your heart, inside of your life, that's a good thing that first and foremost tells you that you're born again. Because if you're not born again, there's no clash going on. As we saw in the wedding. <laughs> but if you're born again, there should be a clash. Should I have these... Shots. Never <laughs> mind. Okay. Va not vaccinations, by the way. No, okay. No. <laughs> so this does not mean you're not a Christian. Um, it's not a Christian is not a person who, who doesn't experience any bad thoughts or desires, right? A Christian is a person who's at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. Right. Conflict in your soul is not all bad. One day we will be completely free of that. But um, that gives us a, a, an understanding that um, we, number one, we've been conquered by the Spirit. And I'm not going to be comfortable or let the, the, the flesh um, take control over my life. Amen. So the, the sign of whether you are indwelt by the Spirit of God is not that you have no bad desires, but that you have a war going on, right? The Spirit has landed in our hearts and in our lives to do battle with the flesh. So take heart tonight if your soul feels a bit like a battlefield at times. But what's important here, if you read verses 16 and 17 again for the sake of time, the main point is not the war. The main point is the victory of the Spirit. If you read carefully here, you'll see that there's a victory that's taken place. And um, you'll see, I think it's in verse 24. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires, right? So if you've crucified it, then the battle has already been won. So already we actually have the battle uh, been won, been fought and won, but now we are actually um, enforcing the victory and the authority of the Spirit of God, right? I said, think of it more like there's little pockets of gorillas um, trying to, um, those aren't gorillas, those aren't silverback gorillas, <laughs> those are war gorillas um, <laughs> that are 
that are just uh, sniping at you every now and then, which is why we need to understand the finished work of the cross, because that's not who we are. So when it takes a snipe and goes, oh, you thought that same thing again, buddy, you see, you're not free, you go, oh, shush, that wasn't my thought, that was, right? No, seriously. Seriously, how many of you get condemned because of the thoughts that attack your mind? Hey, listen, your mind is just a, is a, is an attacking battlefield. Um, just don't have any landing strips for that thing. Don't let it land. That bird, right? Flying around your head. Don't let it poop. No, anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Uh, oh. And then verse 18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We've chatted a little bit about that. I believe that when we are led by the Spirit of God, we're hitched up to that locomotive. And I believe we're hitched up on the rail of the law of Christ and of the law of life and of the law of liberty. And if you are going to fulfill the law of liberty, which is love, then it's not up to you, it's up to the locomotive, which is up to the Spirit of God. As long as you're hitched up, you stay on those rails, and those rails will secure you, and the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Right? The Holy Spirit will now be the one who enables you to achieve and to accomplish all that God wants for you, as long as you're hitched up uh, to Him. Let me leave that. So, just to land a little bit tonight, the million dollar question, and yes, it's in dollars and not rands. The million dollar question is, how do you walk by the Spirit? Uh, and many uh, people today might have said, I've heard so many preachers about, um, you know, you must just be led by the Spirit, and you must be controlled by the Spirit, and walk by the Spirit, and it's great, it's wonderful, but you all go home thinking, what the heck does that mean, and, and how do I do that, and does it mean I have to sit to assume the position? And, and just go like, okay, Lord, now I have to sit there and wait, and I'll feel the goosebumps. Ooh, I can feel the flesh happening, whatever. And now the Spirit's going to come now, and He's going to lead me, right? It's not that, uh, that's like higher grade. This is, this is, this is lower grade maths. <laughs> this is simple. The Holy Spirit took care of everything. Jesus took every, care of everything on the cross. So that when we were born again, which I never even read, did I? No. Did I just move on from Romans without reading it? Who knows? It's very good, Romans, but I think I just read the first like three lines. Eh? Um. But you could read all of it, but I'll just read uh, from verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and Peace, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Oh, so how many are born again tonight and how many have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Okay, let's pray for those that haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I know it's been a tough day, but actually just moving your hand from here to here, I promise you will be all right. You will have used only very small energy. <laughs> and you can get a sweet as you go out. That'll just help you recoup from that incredible moment of uh, energy being released out of your, your life. Okay. That is sarcasm. Grant, so be quiet. Okay. Let me just maybe finish that. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It's beautiful. 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Friends, we don't put that off somewhere of the Holy Spirit gives life to your mortal body. He's talking about some kind of resurrection. He's talking about you and I when we got born again. The Spirit of God, if it dwells inside of us, then we are in the Spirit. We are walking by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is quickening our mortal body. If it's quickening our mortal body, because He's conquered sin and death. So there should be a quickening happening in our mortal bodies, every single step and journey in God. Amen. So how do you allow the Spirit of God to, um, to control you or to be led to walk by the Spirit of God? This is, you need to get your pens out and write this down. This is powerful revelation um, that I'm about to say now. The way you walk by the Spirit, not led by the Spirit, is you keep your heart happy in God. Mm. Okay, let me say it another way. You walk by the Spirit when your heart is secure, safe, and resting in the promises of God. Your spirit reigns over your flesh and your life when you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, Galatians 2.20, and is now working everything in your life for your good. There's so many scriptures that I, let me just give you a couple. Galatians 5.5, 5, for through the spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. How do you wait for Jesus? Through the spirit, by faith. Galatians 3.23. Now, before faith came, we were confined under the law. The coming of faith liberates a person from being under the law. How then are we led by the Spirit? By faith. By meditating on the trustworthiness and the preciousness of God's promises until our hearts are free of all guilt, fretting, um, greed, See, this is how the Holy Spirit fills and leads. Galatians 3.5 is probably the best scripture that I could find. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The Spirit does his mighty work in us and through us only by the hearing of faith. We are sanctified by faith and by faith alone. So the secret of walking by the Spirit 
is walking by faith. It's putting your confidence, your trust in Jesus Christ, in His promises, in His Word. Because how do you work, walk by faith? But by meditating on His Word, right? Coming back to His Word again. So now we have this crazy but beautiful understanding that as the people of God, we are called not only because we've made a life um, that we now live by the Spirit, but we're called to walk and be led by the Spirit. And now we ask ourselves these deep questions, which a lot of uh, wonderful men of God have so unpacked to such a depth and a level that everybody doesn't think they can quite attain it. Um, but I, I feel like I don't really walk by the Spirit or I'm not led by the Spirit because also the Bible, same Romans 8, says if you're led by the Spirit, you're the sons of God. The Bible does go on to tell us that when we're born again, we automatically become the Spirit and our Spirit witness that we are children of God. So we are sons of God. We are sons of God. So it's again also an understanding that we have to uh, abide in the vine. We have to hitch ourselves up to the locomotive, to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is there to divinely enable us to do everything that God's called us to do, which is being led and walking in the Spirit. So our journey, must we must step out of the law because um, the law is anti and the spirit and it feeds the flesh, right? Because the flesh wants to use its resources, its power to achieve and to do um, what God wants us to do, even in Christians, versus the spirit that wants us to yield to him, wants us to hitch up to him, wants us to put our faith and I trust totally in Him. And then when our faith and trust is in Him, then there comes the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. How many know Galatians 5, 6, circumcision, uncircumcision counts for nothing, but faith working through love. So as we operate in the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit, faith produces love. And then as we operate in love, then we fulfill the law of Christ and we now can achieve and do all that God's called us to do, which is in authority and in power to release the kingdom of God and His presence, right? As I shared, th th those fruit will not inherit the kingdom. These fruit you will live in and inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. So as a, as a liberty and a freedom thing tonight, Oh, I could end with that. As a, <laughs> that was dangerous. <laughs> As a liberty and a freedom thing tonight, I want us to, to understand that it is not a difficult thing to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. You actually have to make the shift and the change in your heart and in your mind that the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you and dwelling inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will divinely enable you. You have to put your faith in God. Put your faith in the Holy Spirit. Put your trust and your confidence in the promises of God in who He is. Right? And then just to land that it can help you and bring it all together is that um, if you want the oxygen and the environment where the Holy Spirit can walk freely and walk so easily, then I'll tell you the little, little have you got your pens out? Are you ready? This little beautiful little gem here. It's called thankfulness. 
the environment and the oxygen where the Holy Spirit can lead us and where we can walk with freedom and liberty is in the environment of thankfulness. Why? Because it's not negative and our trust and our confidence is in God. And when we are thanking Him all the time, we are trusting Him, we are believing Him, and we are staying secure in Him in that environment of thankfulness. And you can go look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Um, I love that. Rejoice always. Don't you love that? You know what rejoice means? Re, go back to joy. Rejoice always. Go back to joy. If you find yourself losing any joy in your life, you've probably moved to the dark side. No. Um, you've moved to the place of law. You need to move back to the place of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy. Go back to the place of joy. Let the Holy Spirit bring that joy. Our, our God's desire for every single one of us, and also Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It, um, the other one, 1 Thessalonians says... Um, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in every single thing, give thanks. There should be a thanksgiving heart in every single thing because we are so grateful and thankful to Him. It's not thanking Him for whatever we're walking through, but my heart is one of such thankfulness so the Holy Spirit can flow and can move, so that out of my belly can flow the rivers of living water. Amen? So there's a trust in that. Uh, and then Philippians 4 as well. So I believe with all my heart, in, as God's positioning us right now, is not in a place of um, how I can serve Him or how I can bring glory to His name. It's how I can make my heart happy in God. See, because when I'm happy in God, then I'm yielded and the Holy Spirit can now empower me and I can work. So then, then I don't get tired. See, the reason, and I'm, again, I'm landing, so I'm just taxing up, so just don't, don't, don't take this wrong. The reason often why we get tired is, is because of the flesh, which is the ego. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's coming to him. He's going to give us rest. And I've got to take his yoke upon me. It's, 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 I've got to yoke myself to him. I've got to put my trust and my confidence in him. He's going to carry the load because his yoke is easy and his burden is light but he says learn from me i'm humble and gentle sounds very much like the fruit of the spirit that as we yield as we come to jesus and yield ourselves yoke ourselves to him which put my faith and my trust and my confidence in him allow the holy spirit now to take control of my life so that i can be led so as he begins to speak remember i said the conscience is actually the thinking part of the spirit let your conscience think because it will lead you it's not difficult it will lead you in the word of god it will lead you in the ways of god it will lead you in the paths of righteousness so this isn't negating righteousness this is this is yielding so that the holy spirit can work in our lives and anything where it doesn't i don't beat myself up i go back to this place of allowing holy spirit to fill and to lead me and to put my faith back in God. Because often the reason why it's happened is because I've taken my eyes off Jesus and I've not put my faith in God and my trust in Him. As soon as we try and do something by ourselves, normally that's when things go wrong. Amen? Okay, amen. I've landed. <laughs>